everybody. Welcome to The New Best Practices, a podcast about the process of creating software. Today, we're going to talk about whether or not you should even be trying to do software at all. I'm your host, Ross Hunter. I'm joined by Jason Sitch. Hey, Ross. And Jace Browning. How's it going? Yeah, so, you know, I was was thinking about some of the places I've worked and for some of the people I've worked for as a consultant and what their company is and, um, you know, they sometimes I wonder do, do they ask themselves are we a, a software company should we be doing software is it is it a core thing because uh, sometimes it seems like they aren't but they're trying to and sometimes I think they are but they're not really trying that hard and uh, both cases kind of turn out bad so I was kind of wondering uh, what your what your guys's thoughts were on this because it, it seems like yeah, there's there's multiple approaches with either hiring your own devs or having consultants or contractors or like a mishmash of of both. Well, Jason, why don't you go ahead and tell us what uh, you think? Yeah. I, I, so my, my thought around it is again, like, are you sure you want to do software? Because uh, a lot of managers or, you know, CEOs or whoever is like in charge, um, a lot of times they don't really get what's involved with software and all the work that goes into it. And I think they they equate, you know, software like um, software is like a thing that you get and it's static, right? It's like a manufactured thing and it's done. And someone hands it to you and you hand them money, and it just, you know, I don't know. To me. Um, software's got this complexity to it and um it's not something that you just manufacture and you're done and like here it is like it's it's only done when you decide to stop like putting effort and money into it yeah or they just equate paying people to build software with paying people to build the product they want to use or sell thinking that it must just all be software yeah, that's that's a good point too. I and I think I don't know, contractors, consultants, and even developers themselves are very good at trying to sell software um, as a solution or custom built software in particular, right? And not just going off the shelf um, or using stuff that's already out there, you know, and starting with that. And I think get paid. I mean. If your gig is just to select an off-the-shelf software and set it up and walk away, you're not making as much money as if you get yourself a year-long contract. Yeah, yeah, but um, yeah, it comes back to like who who do you want to be when you grow up? Is that your product? You know, you need to focus on your product, I think, and what makes sense. And on on that side of thing, I kind of welcome. People who both know software and product, like I think there's a very valuable place for them and knowing how to balance the two because um, you get people on each end of the spectrum and they're very far apart. And I think that's kind of when things go bad. Either you're way far away from the, the software or you're way far away from the product. And I think that's how projects kind of fail. Yeah, I had, so I had a client, um, and they, they had some software that, that had been around for a while that was built by some in-house devs, um, with, you know, a little bit of outside help and then just a smattering of contractors, you know, slowly making the code, uh, worse over time. Um, and I, and we were, you know, the, the client was, was not happy with that. And they, they, you know, they were like, why, you know, why is software so hard? Um, I just, I just want some off the shelf software to solve my problems. Cause I don't want to, I just don't want to pay developers. And, and, uh, this particular, it, it, they made machines that had, that had software in them. Um, uh, you know, they're, they're smart machines or whatever. And, and I asked them like, do you have software inside of your machines to sell the machines or do you have machines to sell software? Um, and that was kind of, that was somewhat eye opening to them. They had, you know, hadn't really 
hadn't really thought about it. Um, and it turns out like they they didn't want software. Like they want, they wanted to sell these machines, you know. Smart people. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it seems like you could answer a lot of the questions quickly by just defining what your business model is. How do you intend to make money? And if your business model is software, that probably means you're some sort of subscription or something. And if it, otherwise, the software, like you said, is just a means to deliver you the product, but the the product is what you're making your money on, not the software. At the same time, the soft, so they want to sell machines, but it, the reason they sell the machines is the software, you know, like it's kind of a, like, yeah, you don't like it, but the reason that people want your product is because they can go online and look at all of their reports and, you know, they have a back, all of the information is saved to the cloud and, you know, X, Y, Z, like it is what sells the machines. It doesn't, there are solutions, there are off the shelf solutions out there that will get you a lot of this stuff. You know, there's, um, you know, there's nothing is, nothing is that fancy. Um, but at the same time, if you want to, so some of the stuff that we were trying to do or that we did do was predictive stuff that wasn't off the shelf, like off the shelf software did not predict, you know, when your, your inventory was going to run out. Like these were, um, you know, these are custom, custom things that were specific to the, um, to the domain and they weren't necessarily, they're not necessarily hard to do. Um, and this is where the other, so you might want some custom software, but you should make that super simple. Like if you make some super simple custom software, uh, make, make concessions, like do the easy thing, like cover 90% of your use cases. Like if you're off the shelf covers 70, you know, or whatever, then uh and you could you know spend as much money as you want to cover 100 well what if you only covered 90 <laughs> like what like the the last 10 percent is you know half of the cost of the project um and i see that a lot in in projects where uh you know i jace you've definitely mentioned this before is like it, things are work tools like don't don't have fancy loading animations like don't don't mess around <laughs> uh yagni you know just build the simplest thing you possibly can and this is all you know standard agile product development stuff yeah i think we could, you could possibly just make two categories you're either if if you are building software and software is part of your product are you building just a, a work product a work tool or are you building some sort of a an app you know and I, and i think the distinction there is an app needs to, an app has competition. An app needs to be attractive by itself because your consumers might go for a different app that's similar. But a work tool or a work product is just part of some other tool and it doesn't, it essentially doesn't have competition. Are, are you really saying like line of business app? It's like a common like IT term to describe like internal apps. Uh, could you define that? Um, so like within a, a large corporation, usually they have IT developers that work on apps that's only used by the people within the company, like accounting or something, or like, and usually it's like a tool, like maybe to collect test data or something from, from engineers working on some kind of product or something, but that product by itself, it's not, it, the, the app itself is not something that you sell. It's just a means to an end within the company. Um, so I think that, I think that does kind of match your, your work product definition, but maybe you're describing something that might be something that goes out publicly. Even if you sell it, if, so it depends on what I like how Jace put it is like, is there competition? Um, that really makes a difference is it there there's a huge difference between the new you know the some social media app or 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 whatever whatever the kids do nowadays on the internets they 
there's a big difference between that and something where I go and check my machine status. You know, I, like, and oftentimes in that type of situation, the users aren't buying the software, um, or they're not involved in the purchasing decision. Like the um, a a, a purchaser decides, hey, we're going to buy these machines. They come with this software. And that, it, nobody is, if it sucks real bad, then you might end up with, uh, you know, some revolt and they'll, you'll, users will, will want a different thing, but they're not going to be like, oh man, I wish this was fun to use. Right. And I think most of the software, anybody's being paid to develop, so like most developers, maybe 99% are, are actually just building work products. I think I'm thinking of things like even it doesn't even have to be connected to a physical product, but things like your your healthcare website, your your 401k website, none of these you've selected because of the software right? and, and the experience you've, you know, because the uh, the competitive advantage of these companies is what they offer not the software you use to access their product. I, th- I think that, de- that depends. I, I, I agree with the sentiment. I think that there might be, you know, you mentioned like healthcare. Um, there, that is actually, in, I think, an industry where a lot of this stuff is coming around and they are trying to innovate. Um, and, and if somebody ever did it well, uh, <laughs> it, that could influence my decision if I had, you know, easy billing or, or something like that. But even then it's the number one thing is, does it work? And that's, that's the funniest thing about, about these types of products like banking and healthcare and like all these like really important things is the software does suck and is terrible and doesn't work. Um, but you have to, you have to buy it anyway. So, so that's, that's a little bit different, I think, in terms of like, why does this software suck? Well, because you have, you have to buy it anyway. Um, I hope some of that changes over time. Um, but it's kind of like, I don't know, can it, can it survive on its own? Is it a sellable thing or, you know, it's a desirable thing on its own or marketed thing on its own, as opposed to something that you just happen to use because you want something else like you want healthcare it just so happens to have this app but uh, i kind of see it differently like if a startup came along and their main thing was the app and that's its competitive advantage right so this reminds me of a project that i had back early in my career um and we were working on an attendance app for an after school program and uh, nobody inside the company really knew how to build a web app or a, a mobile app. Uh, but one of the requirements for for the the app was that it had they wanted it to work offline. They were in they were in spotty Wi-Fi situations, so it couldn't be a straight up simple web app. Um, so we messed around with some HTML5 offline stuff and, uh, that went very poorly as you might expect, um, that they're still working on getting HTML5 offline going. Um, but anyway, so we, we hired out the mobile app portion of it to a contractor and they took it on themselves uh, to have this be an opportunity to mess around with software architecture. Um, so they built the whole thing with like a CQRS, like crazy stuff going on. Like it's an attendance app. Like you just want to say that Jimmy was there. Like we don't need to do uh, any of this fancy stuff here. Um, and the app sucked. It didn't work. Like it, it was overly complicated. It got there late. Uh, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, we looked bad. Um, and the customer did not get their software. Um, and it, it's just very selfish, I think, to you know mess around with so- other people's... They need this software and you're just, you're just messing around. That's, I don't know, that kind of gets back to what I was saying about being at opposite ends of the spectrum and about... Um excited about the technology but like 
that the architecture, um, and I, I know like developers get excited about stuff like that, but at the same time, what kind of advantage are you giving whoever you're developing this for? What kind of advantage are you giving them? Especially, um, you know, if people kind of know it's an experiment of what you're doing. And I think that's where like being, being clear about expectations for, uh, I, I don't know, maybe performance or something. You're like, oh yeah, we need to meet this kind of performance standard for this app, which CRUD app, no, it's not gonna, <laughs> it's not a thing. Um, but it, those might drive some experimentation and strain off the path. But otherwise, like you said, if you're creating a, a, a CRUD app, um, it's hard to make a case for, for doing unique things and not doing something that just kind of works, right? Yeah, and it seems like most of the cases of, oh, this software's terrible, whenever you think that, you're on a website and you think the software's terrible, it's, it's almost always because they overcomplicated it. You know, it was, or it should have been, a CRUD app that submits forms and modifies data. Like you're updating your, your healthcare information, fill out a form, click submit. But instead, it's trying to do all this dynamic stuff in like, you know, live, live up, live, like live data representation and all that. And then now there's more opportunity for bugs. So users thinking this, this, this software sucks because there's bugs in it that didn't even need to exist. Yeah, we need to send you, you know, health updates of how you can, you know, so that you can stay healthy and, uh, you know, talk with your doctor, which that that might actually be a useful feature. But I don't know. It seems like you could just email your doctor. Like that should just like email your doctor. Like it shouldn't shouldn't be fancy. And I, and that's like the, the Yagni stuff. Like just click a button and open up an email and you get to email your your doctor easily. Um, and when people click on that button, you know, every day, all day, then, then make it a, be- make it a better, right? Make it an inline chat if that's what people actually desire. But, uh, the, you can start simple. Um, but I, that is somewhat, um, not in line with the idea of like bu- trying to buy something and having it be done. Um, trying to have it be a process is much harder for for people if uh, for a company that doesn't doesn't know how to do software yeah what um sorry can you exp- i think that's a good thing you're hitting on there what, what do you mean by uh the process because when you're when you're building something like this it's you know it's it's at it's agile software development you know like when i that the you know, used used to mean something. Uh, <laughs> Is it certified? Yeah, yeah. Now I, I've never been certified, unfortunately. So, so I guess you can't trust anything I say. But yeah, the idea that, like, you know, to get from if you're trying to build a car, you don't build you don't build an engine to start. You build a skateboard to start. You know, like that that idea of you got what's the thing we need to do. We need people to be able to talk to their doctors more. They're not asking them enough questions. Okay, let's put a button that says, talk to my doctor. And then when you click on it, you send an email. Like, I could build that for you, you know, I can build that for you in 15 minutes. Um, Start there and see what happens. Learn. You know, there's, I mean, there's a whole nother... You, this, these are product things, you know, and, and I, I've spent times at product and consulting companies, and I think this is something that you, you learn being at a startup. Yeah, so I, and I think the, the interesting thing going with the process thing is that, uh, again, like having the guy that knows the product understanding the process also, and um, because there's also a point where you say Yagni, but um, maybe someday you do need it, or maybe you 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 take on technical debt, and um, things go bad, or they get they get kind of worse when you don't set aside time and you're purposeful about taking uh, taking care of those things, right? Being purposeful about. Uh, how your software is developing and growing and scaling and things like that. And I've, I've seen that go bad where you, you start off simple and things are good. 
and you plan for one way and then things change like you you have to be agile but then also like oh yeah and i i think from the product side you may get pushback just like why do you guys want to slow down and and do this you know do this refactor or this other thing you know like that's not delivering features anymore like you guys were and i think you kind of get concerns that like people are wasting time um and it's all kind of based off just like people not knowing about that process that you're trying to do so i think it's kind of important to to have a mutual understanding of what that is i think very few companies are actually uh, following some some of the agile tenets that love like showing the software to customers as it's being developed it, i've seen so many examples where a company says we're do, they're doing agile software development and what that means is that they have a meeting every week where they estimate where they're at and then eventually in a couple of years they'll ship a product like they're missing the the most important piece yeah the 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 beta customer like this is a thing that every every business should have um you got to have a trusted customer or in scratch that you need more than one trusted customer because uh, worked where i've been in a situation where we had a trusted customer and that can lead to a whole nother set of problems uh but but the the basic idea is you do need to have people that you can bounce ideas off of. And most, like, it shouldn't be hard to find a customer that is willing to be that. Like, man, like, so many people just fill out surveys for, like, no reason. Like, the, people want their opinions heard, you know? Um, and if you get someone who has a lot of experience, you it, that can be so invaluable the the idea that you could ever that a salesperson could listen to some complaints from a customer who doesn't like neither of those people know how software works and they'll say like oh man i need i want to be able to chat with my doctor you know or, or whatever and somebody writes that down and they come up with a bunch of requirements around it and you know it goes through committee and then it comes out and the software developers set set about to design a chat program for you and your doctor when it could have been if anybody had ever asked that person do you want to chat with your doctor you know that they might be like oh actually no that kind of sounds terrible i hate technology i don't want to do that like can i just email them yeah like the number of times where there's a simpler like ev there's always a simpler solution yeah as as developers, we have a fairly unique experience with the software we use because I'm just looking up at my tabs and I see like Trello and GitHub and I mean, even, even Facebook. And I guess that, it, that, that applies to more people, not so much recently. But the software, a lot of the software we use is being modified, you know, right, right underneath our fingertips. And we tend to enjoy that because we, we see things, we see constant change. We can, you know, there's a lot of like feedback buttons and things like that. We feel like we're, part of the software development. And those are some of my favorite tools to use. But then when I go to sites that uh, don't target developers and don't have any feedback mechanisms, those are the really bad ones, like your healthcare and, and things like that. Yeah, I, I just I can't say how many times that I've been in a meeting and somebody has expressed a problem with a suggested solution and other developers will hop on and like start adding to something and and I'll and I'll be like what if we just didn't do any of the stuff you just said <laughs> how how about we do none of that like what would happen and it and it's almost always like oh yeah I guess that'd be fine it's like oh okay then let's not do any of that like it it's it surprises me to this to this day how and this is, um, uh, you know, developers can be very guilty of this, of building in the fancy animations, of, you know, shoving the, getting the response from the API and pushing it into the array and, you know, avoiding doing a full callback from your fancy, you know, JavaScript client. And, and just, man, you just, you ain't going to need it. Like, I just keep coming back to that. Like, if you ever do, 
there will be time like that. And I think that is it, man, as much as I, as much as I hate on startups, that is like a, something I think I did learn from there is like, if you ever get time to do these things, then you're in good shape. Like come back and do these things when you have time. Um, just focus on the, the focus on the, the core of, of what you're trying to do. Build that skateboard. Yeah. I think, um, we might've just come up with some good, like I've never thought of this before, but like interview questions for developers, like maybe you just, you describe what you want to do as kind of like a product owner and you see how long it takes before they say Yagni or they offer a simpler solution and maybe you just keep getting more complex complex and you just write down the time it takes for them to eventually tell you to stop um then you know you have a winner <laughs> <laughs> yeah and i think that there's um you know design i've spent a lot of time working you know side by side with designers not having like designers be a separate thing per se but that is like i mean that is what a designer should should be should be doing um the designer the ux designer or 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 whatever you want to say but i spent so much time around it that i i feel like that maybe that's where where i get a lot of this whereas maybe other people have you know, um, you know, not, not to stereotype people, but they've spent time in, you know, their cubicle in the basement and they're, they're just not exposed to these types of things. And they're just, they're, they go through their tickets and I, I hope that's not how most developers experience software because that is, that sounds terrible. (laughs) Um, but, but the way that, so another way to kind of think about some of these things that we're saying is, you know, not to don't skimp, uh, like skimp on features, like do, do as few features as possible. Um, but at the same time, I, I really think that you need to build in some amount of quality <laughs> and that yes. is, you know, like what is, you know, Jace d- define quality for me. Quality is value to some person who matters. So that's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> I, I'm saying don't write shitty code. Uh, well, honestly, like that—that's what it comes down to. Is bit, it, like the simplicity. The simplicity should extend to your code. Um, don't don't like so these fancy features that you build in that like that avoid a full page refresh they also produce bugs they right. produce and bugs they don't like add va- and that doesn't add value or at least especially if it's new say if this is your healthcare app that doesn't add value to the people who matter which are the people that just need to submit their you know insurance form so like if if for some of those users that form fails to submit because your fancy animation crashes then that's not that's the opposite of quality that's a bug yeah so i i think you guys are just javascript haters um yeah so let's i mean just get that out of the way um but i i i think what you what you're coming to is recognizing um the complexity of stuff and maybe especially the way that frameworks i guess and I I don't I already see it as JavaScript's advantage that it can do so many crazy things, but um, just just recognizing how like these frameworks do so much for you, and maybe you don't even understand what they're doing and how to handle it appropriately. Because um, I think any, any like I I don't know like Ross, you just said like don't write bad code, but no one ever set out to write bad code. I, I don't think on purpose, especially if it's their own thing and their own product. But, you know, a, a year down the line, it may look like bad code or probably more likely it grows into bad code, typically, I think. Um, so I, I, I don't know if you could say that, really. Like, that's, I, don't, I don't think that's a thing. Don't write bad code. Um, is there a better way to say that? Do you guys have any thoughts on that? Well, I think it's, I think the reason developers do that is they want to, they want to feel achievement. And I think a lot of developers software never has any customers. No one ever uses their software. 
But if they got a nice fancy form to like validate that your password's not the right length or something, and then they finish that feature, even though nobody needed that, they feel good because they can at least feel like they got something done. And I, I guess it depends on what, what, what people value. Um, and I, I value, I value simplicity. I value, uh, tested code uh and i think that's a that's another thing that's kind of swirling around is you you need to be writing you need to be writing tests you got to be writing tests of some kind um the idea that you uh, and that's what lets software grow if if you don't have tests then every time you you're piling up sand like you're 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 building piles of sand and you can only pile sand so high. You need to n- make sure that when you push something over here, it doesn't break something over here. Like the number of times that that I produced a feature and you know patted myself on the back for it, and you know ran the test suite and broken something way over on the other side. Um, it it's a very very high number of times I've done something like that. Um, and I, and I think that that is something that a lot of people don't have any experience with, or they write, uh, they write complex codes. They write complex tests that test the internal workings of, of, you know, some interaction based testing of, of a lot of different stuff and you can't refactor it over time. Um, so I, I think that's a, a that's what I mean. Uh, is, so for me, the quality of the software uh, that that I'm talking about is its maintainability, basically. You you just said a lot about testing, though, too. And I was thinking of I've been a part of like bad software plus bad testing. Um, it's actually worse. Get, I, it it kind of yeah, it is. Um, now you have two problems, um, and I, I like the the definition of quality from JS because I think it applies to writing bad code. It's like bad bad code is code that was written by someone that seemed good at some point in time or something. I don't know. They come up with something like that because I, I think the same probably goes for tests. Like they write a test and they're like, "Hey, like you know, I'm going to test this one thing," and like. I, I don't want to say you need like arte- architects or anything, but um, maybe it's just like experience as a developer and um, knowing, I guess, I, I don't know. There, there's something just about knowing software process and how things are going to go bad probably and what you need to watch out for as you develop things. Because there's, there's plenty of like Hello World Uh, intro to this intro to that like get you started like you know an api or a library or framework now but uh, there's so much more knowledge about um, how you build apps and how you grow them and i i don't know there's all things about testing and deployment and just to make you a well-rounded developer outside of even like i was saying earlier about being able to reconcile all that against what your business objectives are for like a product. Um, I mean, that's even more complexity. So, yeah, I like to classify bugs in three main categories. There's bugs just with respect to the code, which are code that's just bad. It doesn't even matter what anybody's trying to do, it just violates language constructs or it's like bounds checking or something like that. Then there's bugs with respect to the developer. And this is kind of what you were talking about, Ross, where the code doesn't do what you think it does as the developer. Uh, and I think, yeah, a lot of developers haven't even gotten to that step where they're right. They don't even know what their code does. And then the, the third kind in this like higher tier is bugs with respect to the, the customer, that the software doesn't actually do what the customer needs it to do. But you can't really get to that third stage until you've completed the first two. Yeah, I like, I like that, being able to categorize them like I, I don't know what kind of value it provides me but it's a good way to uh to look at things because i think i think people fail in all parts right not recognizing what they should be building is is a major issue right um and then just 
doing it, I, I forgot already kind of how you categorized it, but coming down from there to that second level um, is, is a little bit less worse. I, I think, you know, it to me, a lot of stuff goes bad early on and defining what you're trying to do with your software and um, what it is and not doing a good job figuring that out, uh, just kind of having an idea of what it should be. And especially when you have more than one party involved in creating it, it's kind of fine when it's your own pro pet project, but as soon as you have, like you're working for other people developing software and you, um, you guys don't have a shared concept of what it is or you think you do, but it turns out you don't, I think those are, those are huge issues in software development that a lot of times aren't addressed and lead to like these major failures um, that we're talking about that really affect companies. To, as a caveat to all that, there is a certain amount of um, uh, minimum viable product type type mentality that that you should have. Um, and if it truly is a a shot in the dark of whether or not this thing might work, then yeah, don't go nuts testing it. Like there's um, now for me, I I write a I I want a I at least want some type of um, test around the, uh, the an integration test, an acceptance test, whatever you want to call it, to make sure that the end result does the thing that I want to do. That helps me as a as a developer know when I'm done. Um, but yeah, don't go nuts like it, it, building rock solid code that can handle all the edge cases. Like like that's another that's another type of. Um, spending too much time on, on features, you know, like some person might call it a bug that I can type, you know, random stuff into my email address and submit it. Like you could call that a bug. So, some people would classify that with bug. Whereas if like, who's going to do that? Like who's going to type random stuff into their email address? Like that, that could be a, a Yagni thing um, to start. But it's also, if this is an MVP, then plan on rewriting it. You know, something like that, where you're going to, you're going to, you're proving a concept here. Like, you know that you're going to rewrite it. You expect it to be buggy at a certain stage. Uh, you know, maybe it's even just a prototype. Uh, but th that does temper whether or not, you know, go ahead and write some shitty code then, I guess. Now... Everywhere I've worked that produced something that they called an MVP, they also attempted to make that the production product. So how do you prevent that? I, I wish I knew. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I've, I'm, we've worked together, so I've experienced that. <laughs> I, that, I, I think that comes down to understand the process, right? Like, do you know that you're a software company and do you know what you're going to do to deliver software? And do you make those expectations clear up front that this is an MVP that's, that's going to go away? You know, I think that's where developers may go off and have their own process and be like, yeah, we're going to MVP this. But on the other side of the spectrum, people who are not developers be like, wow, you built something really cool. Let's keep on building on that and deliver it, right? It's not like before this point in time when we had software development and manufacturing, it wasn't like you paid a manufacturer to build something for you and they showed you it and it looked kind of like what you wanted and then they totally threw everything away and restarted or something, you know? it's It doesn't really have a comparison. People just aren't used to software development, I think, where, you know, that's that's an easy thing to swallow for them. Yeah, soft, software is definitely... Uh, it's definitely got a, got some growing up to do, but that, that does remind me of a, um, so there's this guy, I wish I remembered his name. Uh, so this is basically taken from a, a Glenn Vanderberg, uh, gave a talk on, um, some, some guy was building bridges and people, you know, the, the, the mathematicians told him, you know, that he couldn't build a bridge across this thing or whatever. And what he did is build prototypes. So he built a two foot long, you know, prototype of what he wanted to do to get across this bridge. Then he built, you know, a 10 foot one, then he built a 50 foot one or, or whatever. And 
that was unlike what the other engineers were doing at the time. But that that is actually a lot of what we should be doing in software um, is building these prototypes. Like you, so, so that instance you just said, like, oh, here's here's a tiny bridge. Like, okay, let's just add some more cement to that, and then it'll go across the mile bridge. You know, <laughs> like you would never do that. You have to throw that away. Now you, you know, the software it it's just. It is just the ideas. It is the blueprint. Um, and so, so it's very um, tempting to uh, go ahead and, and try to expand it. But it's uh, almost always a mistake. Yeah, I, it's, you got to show people the value of that also. Like they, they just see it as wasted effort, right? If you're going to prototype something out. And it probably comes back again, clear expectations of of why you're trying to do what you're doing with uh, doing a prototype or doing a new architecture or whatever. Like, it's not a matter of like, this is a cool thing to do. Like, you should be able to justify that. Um, Because it's just, I don't know, software is just not cheap, Mm -hmm. right? It's not cheap to develop any way you cut it. I think one of the interesting things is that so much of the work on something like this is actually is front loaded. Um, So, so for, so working with this client and they are, they, they're sick of how long this software takes to develop, but we're at the point where, well, we've got the architecture in place. We've got the API, we have the API and the angular app and yeah, maybe that's over architected, but it's here now so now I can add I can add new endpoints to the system like literally like in a day, like add add a a new type of crud to this app. That'll take me one day to do at this point because we've we've already done all the hard work. So now that you're sick of it and you want to go you want to go to the off the shelf software, well well now the software is actually overall relatively cheap now that you've you've built it up. I think another uh, another aspect of it is how novel is the software you're building, um, because if it if it's a if it's a new idea that's not market tested, uh, you you need to do MVPs and those kinds of things. But if you're basically just doing a variation on some other product or making a competitor for a product or uh, up, like rebuilding an older version that you've made, maybe you don't need to do. MVPs there, and then instead focus more on getting iterations in front of your customers as fast as possible. Yes. <laughs> and, and not many companies do that, you know, other than things I was mentioning bef- before of a lot of developer tools where they're being rolled out multiple times a day and they've kind of perfected their, de- their deployment process to the point where most end users don't even notice it. Um, I think other consumer tools could benefit from working towards that kind of uh, a process. Have you guys ever experienced um, off-the-shelf, so- like replacing custom software with off-the-shelf um, or, or even vice versa? Have you ever been involved in projects like that? Mm, trying to think. So, so one thing that I keep thinking of when you, when you talk about it is in uh in aerospace uh back when i did that thing um you had to actually we do a decision uh like a formal decision process to determine what would be custom software what would be off the shelf and i think they're or modified um meaning that you take software from an existing like certified project and you'd modify it and recertify it and um it's kind of interesting, like the uh, there's a ton of process in, in aerospace engineering, but um, just some of those ideas where people don't even stop to think about things like that. Um, I guess once you get out of this heavily certified world, um, it's just like do whatever you want, you know. Um, well, I I think that in in many ways the um, open source frameworks are are a lot of that. And, and, and I, I mean, I think that any, if you're, if you have 
an app similar to what we're discussing here where it's some some sort of work tool or or basic crud something and you're not just using like a a framework then and it's not just a pet project and you're just having fun like you are i i don't know what you're doing like oh man i really need this feature i need to i need to artisanally handcraft these sql queries because you know i need i need x y and z I think you're probably wrong. Um, I think you can definitely outgrow your framework. Um, and I think there are some, uh, there's some interesting stuff around whether or not you should l- learn a framework um, or not. But uh, the idea that these, you know, you're standing on the shoulders of, of giants here. Like, like we figured out the, these CRUD apps, like, like Rails exists, Django exists. Um, you can you can become highly productive with these tools if you want to be um and yeah it's the number of times where people have you know people look down on on frameworks um or and it's it's usually not from a case it's not from a position of i do a lot more i'm a lot more productive without them it's it's some type of well that's you know those are for little babies, um, you know. The, I think there's a lot of a lot of that mentality around, um, and it just it all it does is is hurt people. <laughs> it hurts business owners that need simple software, and you're trying to overcomplicate their stuff. I, I have some counterexamples where a lot of my experience with off-the-shelf software is more in the tool space. So a lot in aerospace and automotive, where you need a a bus simulator, you know, like you need to inject can packets or you need to uh, be able to like write some automated tests for, you know, to do that's generate certain kinds of packets and things like that. And at least in that space, some of the off the, off the shelf software is pretty bad or is really old and not and not uh, using any sort of modern doesn't do any like inner hook with modern tooling. So my experience there was like, oh, if I could, if you could let me write some custom software, uh, I could actually do more than what we're, you know, paying to uh, pay for licenses for this off-the-shelf tool. I I think that that is probably. Uh, so I've spent uh, most of my career, you know, doing web development, where that is. That is not. That's usually not the case. You know, pe- people are doing. <laughs> they're doing the free. You know, they're they're using uh, Rails or or WordPress or or whatever. Like what? What about? Um, I've seen this just like following things on Twitter, um, and it it feels like almost like shaming, where like you have these wars between like maybe front end frameworks, and they're like, why would you go use this thing? Like we've already built a front end framework and it's batteries included. There's no point in doing something new. Um, and I, again, it feels almost like shaming. They're kind of like it's kind of like little Twitter, you know, flame war that goes on between some of the people behind like front end frameworks. It feels like um, you, you mean the the seven different frameworks that are that are all claim that all have the batteries included and say why would you do this? Oh, well, they're not they're not always batteries included, <laughs> and I, I don't know they have various uh, various talking point or you know selling points be, behind each. Um, but I, I I think it gets back to you know why why would you create that eighth framework? Um, you know we already we've already done it. You know, it's like we've already done web apps and Rails. Why why would you do anything else? Like Rails does it really well, right? Like are there reasons to do new things? Uh I mean, there's definitely reasons to do I mean, there's there's certainly things that Rails doesn't do well and you shouldn't use Rails for them. <laughs> um but but the idea that we need another full featured and again as as someone who you know as a as a Ruby developer it yeah I I don't know why I would mess around with anything other than 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 Rails for me because I've done it so much if I'm trying to yeah. just get some shit done man I I can get shit done in Rails if it's a web app 
Yeah, for so many of the front-end frameworks, I don't know what problem they're solving. Um, and go, going to that, my definition of quality, Ross, <laughs> I don't know what value it's adding to the, the people that matter if, yeah, the, form do, the page doesn't reload. Does that actually add value? And f- for most software, it doesn't. Yeah, I think, I think the only argument I can make for, for front-end framework, except for the fact that, I don't know, I like just developer happiness, I guess, um, is that when you, when you start getting into complex things or like you want something and you start mishmashing between like server-side rendering and front-end dynamic rendering, I think things get ugly really quick. I've seen that in a few apps now. Uh, where it's just kind of painful to do that, where you want you want this dynamic bit to like build up like dynamic forms or something. At the same time, you're sending stuff down from the server that is expecting like a form post, um, and you know you're using special libraries or gems to create forms in the first place. And now you have this JavaScript that's also kind of competing against that. Um, that's where it gets really awkward and. Um, I don't know. Maybe maybe you shouldn't try and do anything too fancy on the front end at that point. Be would be the answer. I I mean, obviously the front end frameworks have helped out a lot. Like I've I've done a, did a bunch of really bad jQuery back in my day, um, to to do some of these things, um, and yeah, the frameworks they all work. They all actually work relatively well. Uh, the the ones I've had experience with seem to work. And so it's not that that these frameworks shouldn't exist, um, or or even that you shouldn't use them. Like, uh, it's nice. Like the client API architecture is nice. It's nice to work on as a developer. It can if you have multiple people working on a project, it can it can speed it up um, rather than having a monolith. Um, but it it you don't need it like you should do it you shouldn't feel like oh man i need fancy stuff right now so i need to do this fancy framework i need to do i need to i need to have this server-side rendering so i have to do the bat you know i need to build an isomorphic web app like i man like when those are your problem i really want to work where those are the problems that sounds great (laughs) I, th- I think, as with most, most technologies, the problem is the inexperienced developers. Um, you know, if you're, if you're an expert, if you're awesome at Ember and you could just turn out Ember apps quickly, that's probably a better choice because you, you might eventually need to go to client side, uh, you know, to talk to your API and things like that. I think a lot of the, the problems, though, is if, if you have an inexperienced developer using a front end framework, just trying to match it to a design, but it's features that you don't really need. Now you're introducing bugs. I, I like where you started off where like in a and maybe I again I, I think the, the two of you are um obviously more like server side rendering fans, but I think that's because what you're you're comfortable with and what you're you're good at, right? I think that's just what kind of Jace just said with you know, if you have someone that's awesome at Ember, you know, that's what they're comfortable with. Don't make them do something else, right? So kind of comes down to your your team and your structure and maybe if you have a, a champion of that technology. Yeah, I'm comfortable with server-side rendering because it's simpler right? in a lot of ways. It's easier to test. Um, it's easier to cover all the possible scenarios and in general, it seems like there's less state to worry about once yeah. you've once you've rendered it. You should come to my work and check out the app that I work on. <laughs> <laughs> I I I love API. Like I love APIs. I love building the APIs. Like to me, that's that's one of the advantages of doing a client client server is you can have a nice clean API. You know, I'm I'm big into JSON API spec and. And all those things, I think you 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 do get a lot of advantages out of that. And uh, and I've spent a lot of time in Angular and Ember, and I I like them both too. I it's the idea that you need to have this 
is is what I have a problem with. I I I think that you can you can grow. Um, you can start out with the simplest thing. If this if you have two people working on a product, one person is a back end developer and one person is a front end developer, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, but if I think there's just pressure, like if you were if you were to be a you know uh, a mid-level intermediate if you were a developer too um working you know working at megacorp like you you would be you would feel pressure to do something fancy um i i I guess at that if you were lucky enough to even just make technology decisions um so you might be pressured into into doing these things now that might be good you might learn you might get outside of your comfort zone and learn some stuff um but if you if something actually needs to ship, like uh, if if these if these people if these people need their after school program and they need to keep attendance and they're having trouble with it and they're coming to you and they're asking you for help and you get fancy and you screw them over, like man, like, like I said that that effect like not delivering a product to a customer that really affects me. Like I don't build software to you know to as a as a intellectual pursuit um you know it can be that at times but i'm i'm trying to make people's lives better over here and you know cqrs like might be able to do that in certain situations if you have some really fancy thing but if you're just crudding like just just give give the people the stuff they want right most likely in the the scenario you're describing this software developer to at megacorp they didn't pick any of the technology and they didn't pick any of the features. They were told to do Angular. They were told they have to get these three features done in this sprint. So the only flexibility they have is how fancy they can be with the front end framework. And they want to show off and they want to feel like they got something done. I don't know if I buy any of this. Um, (laughs) You guys keep using the word fancy, but I think you just use it in a derogatory way about front-end frameworks. <laughs> um, I, I think the real core is using what you don't know is what you're getting at. I, li- I like the fact that you went back to the CQRS example, Ross. Um, but I, I think, you know, it's it's fine to pick something like CQRS or a front-end framework or Technology X, domain-driven design. I, I don't really care. Um, but you just got to understand what you're you're buying into and what you need to do to deliver and if you can if you can deliver like i think probably everything we talk about there are examples of, pe- of people being successful with them unless it's like super fringe and like brand new and like but otherwise i mean people uh, technologies come out and they they may have issues up front uh but eventually they work out, they scale. Like Node's being used at huge companies right now, right? And it's, it's been kind of a mess. You might still consider it a mess, but you know you, you can make it work, I think. Uh, same for probably a lot of the technologies that we're talking about, but to um, decide that you're gonna learn something like that while at the same time starting a new project is probably a poor choice. Yeah, I, I think a lot of the stuff you just talked about is basically saying hey software gets better over time like and, and i you have to push the envelope in certain in certain ways um there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff that's going to change over these next you know these next 10 years are going to be pretty pretty uh pretty different uh i mean we've we've basically maxed out uh you know clock speed on processors like that's going to change how we have to write code like that's maybe you need to start looking at functional programming because we're, we we need to multi-thread everything now in order to get any performance boost because you can only you can only trick a rock into thinking so fast um, and we're pretty much at like we're pretty much at that phase like you you can't go above three gigs basically and there's a lot of stuff with caching and other stuff that I don't understand I'm not that smart. Um, but I, the, we do need to embrace these new things. You know, there's you know GraphQL and all all these other things that are that are uh, approaching, and they are they are on the horizon. And it's it's fun to play with them, and sometimes they might be a right fit for what you're trying to do. F- for me, 
I have it. I have trouble when uh, a I interact with software and it sucks, uh, and somebody could have done something simpler. And B is is when you you convince someone else that you do know what you're doing and you don't, and and you mess up somebody else's day. You you give your customer bad software. You give your clients bad software, and that that's back to what is. What are people's what are people's motivations? Not everyone not everyone is willing to tell their client, "Hey, you don't need you don't need software." Um, and I I think that we need to tell more people that they don't need software. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our thoughts here on the new best practices. We are on the internet at thenewbestpractices.com. You can find our contact information there. We're on Twitter and whatnot feel free to yell at us. If you enjoy this program, please leave a rating on your podcast platform of choice and tell your friends. We are currently, very slowly, working on the next season, and any feedback is greatly appreciated. Thanks again. We look forward to next time.